draw a line, literally, between verse 35 and 36. Because what happens here is we leap from the 69th to the 70th week. We jump across, what, some 2,000 years into the final seven-year week. John Walford said the amazingly detailed prophecies of the first 35 verses of this chapter, all now fulfilled historically, constitute an impressive introduction to the events that are yet future, beginning in verse 36. So that was all of our introduction. Let's begin our Bible study now. (laughs) Public enemy number one was Antiochus Epiphanes. We talked about him before as the historical type or example of Antichrist. Antichrist is really public enemy number one. The only reason why Antiochus was public enemy number one was because in those days he was the worst of the worst. But he was a a representative of what was coming. So now we come to the real public enemy number one, Antichrist, discussed beginning in verse 36. Then the king will do as he pleases. And he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And he will prosper. Now up to that point you could say, Couldn't that just be Antiochus Epiphanes? Finish the verse. Until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. And the key word, and the reason why we know we jumped to the last week, is the indignation. The time of Antiochus Epiphanes was not the indignation. It was the first, the example of the abomination of desolation, but it was not the indignation. The word indignation in the Hebrew is za'am. It means anger, rage, wrath, as in the wrath of God poured out in the tribulation. When you see the word indignation in the Hebrew Scriptures, typically it is referring to the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel. The time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah chapter 30 refers to. Isaiah chapter 26 says, Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. Which may be talking about that time in the tribulation when the Jewish people are pulled out and hidden and protected. And it may also be talking about the rapture of the church. Come, my people, into your rooms, close your doors behind you, hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. Antichrist is now on the scene in verse 36 during this time of indignation. It's God's indignation at a Christ-rejecting world. Antichrist means, remember this, another Christ. One who comes in the place of Christ. One who would present himself as being Christ. Some things to note here. It tells us he will do as he pleases. Notice the contrast. Antichrist will do as he pleases. Jesus Christ said, Luke 22:42, "Not my will, but yours be done." Antichrist will exalt himself, magnify himself. Jesus Christ, Philippians 2 verse 6 did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. While Antichrist will magnify Himself, Jesus Christ became absolutely humble. Completely different. Antichrist, we're told here in verse 36, will speak monstrously against God. Jesus Christ in John 14.10 said, The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me 
does His works. I don't speak against God. I speak the words of God. Antichrist will seek his own prosperity, verse 36 tells us. Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Amazing difference. Verse 37 tells us Antichrist, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. Interesting. Note these points. Antichrist will not regard, quote, the God of his fathers. Your Bibles might say the gods of his fathers. The word gods there is Elohim. And it's the same phrase. It's a very Jewish phrase. The God of my fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of my fathers. It's a Jewish phrase. And so some believe that like Hitler, Antichrist may indeed have Jewish blood. That's entirely possible. He will not regard the God of His fathers. How about Jesus? John 14, verse 9, Jesus said, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. He said, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in Me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on My own initiative, but the Father abiding in Me does His works. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, He is the exact representation of God. He is Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Whereas Antichrist will not regard the God of his fathers, Jesus was the Father incarnate. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Antichrist, we're told here in verse 37, will not desire women. Might that be then that Antichrist will actually be homosexual? And there's a good chance that he will. Rick, I, I can't believe you said that. That's, I mean, that's just not the right thing to say in these days. You know, you can't speak out against homosexuality, not in our culture. It's the Lord's Word. Homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. That is not my determination. And why is it so? By the way, have you ever thought about why it is such an abomination? Why it's so deplorable to God? It's not because He picks certain sins and goes, that's a real bad one. That one's okay. Just don't do it as much. That's awful. No. It's because homosexuality is a direct affront to the created nature that God gave us. God said, I make you man, I make you woman to be together. And we go, well, we don't want it that way. We want two men together, two women together, and it's an affront to the way God created us in the first place. Which is why it's an abomination to the Lord. Antichrist may very well be homosexual. It was Jesus Christ who said in Matthew 19, verse 4, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Putting His stamp of approval on the created way we are supposed to be, not on some sinful human way of trying to twist things up. There's one other possibility I'll throw out to you here about the fact that he will show no regard for the desire of women. The desire of women may refer to Jesus. Think about it in that context. Verse 37, He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, or for the God of his fathers, or for the desire of women. So he will show no regard for God the Father, or for Jesus the Son. Well, where do you get that? This phrase, the desire of women. What was the greatest desire of a true Israelite woman? It was to be mama to the Messiah. 
If you could do anything, as if you, you know, I'm talking about a real integrity-filled saint, a woman of God among the Hebrews. If you could be used of God in any way to bear the Messiah, would be remarkable. The desire of women. So perhaps it's referring to Jesus in that reference. And we know that on a day not far off, He won't just be the desire of women, He will be the desire of nations. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, I will shake the nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory. Well, Antichrist will set himself up as being God, which is the abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, 15. It's the same thing Paul talks about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He takes his seat in the temple of God and displays himself as being God. That is the abomination of desolation. And by the way, as Antichrist stands up and says, I am God, so does the atheist. It's been said that atheists worship the dumbest God of all. Themselves. (laughs) To be agnostic actually is worse. Do you know that? Because the Greek word for agnostic is agnosko, which means know nothing. What do you believe? I don't know anything. You know what the Latin word is for it? Ignoramus. We'll just move on at this point. But the Bible says, Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because it's nothing but foolishness to open your eyes, look at the world around you and say, Nah, God doesn't exist. What? And the God of this world has obviously blinded you from seeing the truth. Jesus, while Antichrist sets himself up as God, Jesus says, Revelation 22.13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus doesn't have to try. doesn't have to set himself up. doesn't have to present himself as God. He is God. Jesus was capable of coming in flesh the first time because He's God. He knows who He is. He not have to prove anything to anyone. He is God. Verse 38. Instead... He will honor a God of fortresses, that is Antichrist, a God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. He will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign God. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. Fortresses here implies dominion by force. Weaponry. In other words... Antichrist will come along and he's going to be a military dude. Now, no offense to any of you who are serving in the military right now. I, I support you. You know that here at the bridge. So we're not, I'm not opposed to our military. But Antichrist is going to call in the big guns. Antichrist is going to rule by force. Jesus Christ said in John 18.11, Put the sword into the sheath. Put away your sword, Peter. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Jesus who could have called all those legions of angels and destroyed them in a heartbeat, all those who came against Him said, no, 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 that's not how this is to be done. This is to be done by sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. The God of weapons is, well, He's an expensive God to have. Our um, Defense Department budget for 2013 is $525.4 billion. That's the defense. Now, again, I want our forces well-equipped. 
If I had anything to say about it, I'd say all of our naval personnel take a race. I have no problem with that. Um, I just would think, I think we need to send a letter. Glenn, can we draft a letter, send it off to the DOD, and ask if they would just invest .00001% into our building and we could have the whole thing done. Just take that much of the, of the budget. Now watch this. Along comes Antichrist. He's spending all of his fortunes, all of his riches on warfare, on military implements to go up and to fight. And the drums of war begin to beat very loudly, picking up in verse 40. At the time, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. And the king of the north will storm against him with chariots. Who is the king of the south in the end times? Probably Egypt. Anyone know the name of the king of the south? Me either. The king of the north will also storm against him with chariots. So from the south they come up. From the north they come down. They're coming against Antichrist. Follow this. With horsemen and many ships, he will enter countries, overflow them and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land. So now Antichrist makes his way into Israel. Many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. That's Jordan, gang. Jordan is going to be protected against Antichrist. Perhaps because Jordan, who has been kind of the partial friend of Israel among all the Arab states, they've been the one that's been the best uh, friend. They've had some problems, but they, they haven't really wanted to fight. They just want to you know, let Israel be and will be in, and they're all good. And they're going to be rescued out of Antichrist's hands at that time. Verse 42, Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians will follow at his heels. And so Egypt comes up from the south, Russia from the north, and many other countries are going to fall battling. And all this thing is engaged. This massive World War III taking place, verse 44, but rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and to annihilate many. Rumors from the east. He's there in the beautiful land. He's in Israel. He's fighting all these battles. He's taking everybody on and all of a sudden something's happening east of here. What's going on? What's taking place? Revelation chapter 9 verse 16 tells us the number of the armies of the horsemen of the east was 200 million. And note this, John says, I heard the number of them. He doesn't say I saw the number of them. Some people take Revelation 9.16 and they say 200 million. That's nuts. That's crazy. John was just picking out a big number that he couldn't even imagine. There weren't even 2 million people on the planet at the time. So how could he possibly say 200 million? Well, John tells us how. He heard the number of them. John in the vision, someone tells him, by the way, you see this massive, massive army coming out of the east here? There's 200 million. Impossible! Old Bible scholars used to say that the Department of Defense, Defense Statistics in 2010 tells us our military, this was 2010, 2013 is not out yet. We had in 2010 1.4 million active U.S. military. 1.4 million. 200 million coming from the East against Antichrist. A biggest army that's ever existed. 
How are they coming from the east? Revelation 16.12 says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings of the east. Imagine Antichrist and his counselors. Hey, there's a 200 million, million man army marching here from the east. Don't worry about the Euphrates will slow them down. No, it's dried up. What? And here they come. Rumors from the east. When John received the revelation, as I said, there weren't that many people on the planet. But in 2013, the Chinese population alone is 1,362,391,579,580,581,582. And just, you know what I'm saying. This is a big country. China is now the largest country in the world. Second is, anyone know? India. India. So the way is made from the east. And by the way, 50 years ago in the early 60s, Radio Peking boasted that the Chinese could mobilize a 200 million man army in one month. And they claimed that 50 years ago. So might there be a possibility of a 200 million man army coming from the east that threatens Antichrist at the end? Absolutely. Well, how do you know? The Bible says so. And I trust it to be true. So you're saying a 200 million Chinese army will attack Antichrist? That's the rumor. Verse 45, He will pitch the tents of His royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. What's the holy mountain? Zion. Zion, which is? Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. Yet He will come to His end with no one to help Him. Now hang with me just a couple minutes more here. The chapter ends with a stunning turn of events. All this history for the first 35 verses, all of a sudden we start seeing this Antichrist. And talk about vile. He is just, he's something else. And we get the best description of the Antichrist here in Daniel 11 of anywhere in all of Scripture. You go through, and this is why people believe so much of what we do about him, that he's going to come out of Europe. That perhaps he'll have Roman roots, Daniel chapter 9. And, and that he's going to be... Described in all these ways, a smooth talker, a flatterer, all that we've described tonight. But all of a sudden, something turns on him. This wildly popular man of peace, world leader who the world adores, and all of a sudden, everything starts to go sour. And it's not because of a failed medical plan. (laughs) What happens is he comes in, and he shart, the mask comes off. He starts to show his true colors. The evil that is driving Antichrist, the satanic possession, begins to show. And he's no longer the smooth talker. Now he's Satan incarnate. And he's going absolutely crazy. The, the people's choice for a superhero becomes a pathetic end. And it's amazing because all of this battling taking place, and notice this Antichrist is in the middle, and he is the target now. The battle of Armageddon is all of the nations of the world fighting each other, but number one, they're going after Antichrist. They want him dead. They want him off the scene. They're completely fed up. He headquarters himself between the seas and Jerusalem. Where's that? It's the Valley of Megiddo. So he's there in Megiddo. Armageddon is taking place. The armies of the world converge for this massive war against Antichrist himself. And then guess what happens? At the very height of the war... The sign of the Son of Man appears in the sky. 
Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus says, And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. They're duking it out with Antichrist, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the clouds with the masses of saints following Him. And they look up, and for a moment, everything stops. And then somehow, Antichrist rallies all of these armies to turn all their weaponry against Jesus. They turn to blow Him out of the sky. Big, big mistake. Revelation 19, verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following Him on white horses. I think it's us. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so may you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of the horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast, Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized. And with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who have received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which comes from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And that's the end of Antichrist. He will come to his end and no one will help him. Do you realize what happens here at the end? Satan betrays him. Satan pulls Antichrist up by his bootstraps. As a child, by the way, because Antichrist is just a man. The number of the beast, 666, is the number of a man. He's just going to be a human being when he starts out. He's going to be a baby held in his mother's arms like so many babies in the world. He's going to grow up just like anybody else. He may be in the world today. He may be growing up right now. He may be among us. Probably not here tonight. And he grows. And Satan begins to say, Hey, we can do great things together. Work with me. And he begins to get twisted. And he starts to turn. And Jesus said, In John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what Satan does. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning who does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he's a liar and the father of lies. And what I want you to see as we close out this thing tonight is that Antichrist, for all of his vileness and for all of his evil and for being so despicable, he himself is used up and deceived by Satan. Because that's what Satan does. And when Satan is all done using you, he throws you out. He's done. And we see that, we see it with Haman, didn't we? Haman ends up hanged on the gallows that he built. 
We see it with men like Hitler in his bunker committing suicide. And throughout time and history, those who have opposed the people of God, we see them go down. Because at the last minute, Satan goes, Okay, you're on your own. The difference here between Satan who would pretend to be God and the Lord Jesus Christ who is God is, well, it's breathtaking. Because verse 1 of chapter 12 says, At that time Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the books, will be rescued. See, so Satan casts out Antichrist, leaves him to die with no one there to help him. Jesus, meanwhile, is rescuing his people. He always does. That's the faithfulness of God. So, what do you think? The first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11 detail 135 prophecies, every single one fulfilled in history. Will it all go down the way he says in verses 36 through 45? We better believe it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is He who calls you, and He will also bring it to pass. Our God is faithful. And Father, we praise You for Your faithfulness, for Your Word. Lord, this covers a long span of history. It is not history that concerns us as much as the truth of Your Word, as much as the truth of prophecy, and as much as having eyes wide open to the future. We pray, Father, You will strengthen our faith in these things. Teach us to trust and believe in You. And we thank You for revealing ahead of time that which is to come. In Jesus' name, Amen.